Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, June 7th. Got to make up for yesterday's rain delay with an action-packed day at the French Open. Upsets throughout the draw on the women's side. Top seeds showing their finest form on the men's side. We got everything we could want beyond that. Just incredible stuff going on throughout the world of tennis. We had the ITA kickoff draft, 64 teams or I guess 45 teams as their hosts uh, choosing to go to the 15 uh, host regions to set up that opening weekend of college tennis had some really funky results we had 13 teams choose to pass on the event just in its entirety on the men's side the highest number that I've seen going back at least 10 years so really surprising to see that that's a story for another time and obviously I talked about that kickoff draft and all things college on yesterday's mini break with Chris Hallioris but we're going to stick to the pro tennis stuff as I mentioned Roland Garros incredible stuff there also some fun challengers going on in Little Rock and Surbiton joining me to break down all of that to get us our weekend started right is my doubles partner partner in crime and the man who I think after a weekend of tennis in Sarasota I could 100% still beat Maxwell Labauer Rothman Maxi welcome back to the mini break pod well first of all funny to start that way considering you have never beaten me uh, secondly, it's not true. We sec- played one set, considering hence, the majority of you've our. Never me. Oh secondly, can- not shocking to to get a, a minute and twenty second intro uh, before before getting to me on our <laughs> on our first pod back in a little bit. Uh, but look, thirdly, it- can we save two to three minutes at the end to talk about my takeaways after getting to play my first weekend of tennis since December? Sure, considering that I play three times a week. That, yeah, that that's sounds... right. I have some great takes for you. Yeah. Um, but as you said, I mean, if you told me going into the French that we would be, you know, left with Djokovic team, Federer and Adal, I, I would have, you know, been like, cool. Yeah, probably. Um, and, you know, if you told me that on the on the women's side that we would be left with Barty, Anasimova, Kanta, and Vondrasova, I would have been like, you're crazy so um <laughs> totally opposite draws here for the men and the women and uh you know it's not shocking i guess to to see it turn out that way i feel like it it's always kind of consistent on the men's side and not as consistent on the women's side and that's what makes the game so interesting um so I- I feel like as fans, we get the best of both worlds, right? If you want new names, you want breakthroughs, you want incredible storylines, check out the, the women's singles draw because you've got all of that there. If you want the same old, same old, your classics, your high-rated tennis, uh, I call it the Mats the Koyak classics, <laughs> you got that on the men's side. The top four seeds all f- holding form. This is the first time the top four players will be in the Grand Slam semifinals since the 2012 Australian Open when the big four all made the semifinal there so you know we're in store for some great tennis this weekend yeah Sikoriak was probably just besides himself after seeing you know the final four for for the men he's probably just exploding with excitement do you know he tried to call me and be like dude I'm telling you just you should pick the top shelf like this is why I picked the top seeds I've and like he was serious he was like no I'm telling you dude like you'll feel better I was like Maddie. Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. What sort Look, of podcast would you're talking to? Just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, uh, then I was like, off the record. Here are my real thoughts on the record. Never going to do that in a chance. Like no chance. Of course not. Um, and honestly, part of the fun in preparing for tonight's mini break, and I feel like we're going to have a couple tangents because, as you mentioned, it's been a while. Hey, Maxie, how you doing? What's up, baby? Um, <laughs> uh, but we we both because we sent clips to one another watched the 2017 quarterfinal where Dominic team beat Novak Djokovic in Roland Garros. We watched the 2011 final between Federer and Nadal the last time the two of them played at Roland Garros. These matchups on the men's side in particular, because we've seen them before, they are going to be so fascinating. I cannot stress that enough. Um, but before we do that, we got to start by breaking down the quarterfinal round because it really was an incredible round of tennis. You want to start with the men or the women, Maxie? Um, let's do the women. I love it. So then let's start with in what is, in my opinion, the bigger upset of the two, obviously. I mean, you could argue about the one, but maybe the biggest upset we have had of the entire tournament, Amanda Anisimova, the 17-year-old young American, former World Junior Slam champion. And we should say, despite being a relative newcomer at the French Open here, she's a former Junior French Open girls singles finalist, 
comes out and again just delivers the performance of the tournament taking out defending champion at number three seed Simona Halep 6264 I I don't even know where to begin with this other than to say Amanda Nisimova was simply incredible yeah I mean watching this match it's funny you first of all wouldn't think she's 17 years old second of all simply outplayed her I mean, I, I was watching it, and I was like, I, I don't really see a flaw in Simona Halep's game. I mean, she she served 72% on, on her first serves. You know, a, a pretty good winner-on-force-error ratio. It, it just, like, watching this, Anasimova just pushed her off the court. I mean, it, hitting her angles, doing what she needed to do, played aggressive. Like, there, it was mind-blowing. She just dominated so tonight for the Correct Interviews podcast, a little tease for you listeners. I think this will be coming out today, Friday as well. I interviewed Whitney Osegwe, a fellow former world junior number one. And, I mean, she talked about Anisimova. First of all, both of these people, Anisimova, like six months older than my younger brother, Nick. Osegwe, Osegwe literally eight days older. I mean, that is just crazy to me. Uh, but just... The sheer power in East Movie, that's what Whitney was saying. It's unbelievable what she's able to do from the ground strokes, the fact that she can go down the line big, take balls early, as you mentioned, open up angles for herself to take balls early and go down the line. The other thing I thought she did really well against Simona Halep, and this isn't qu- quantified in her net points, which she's only four of six, and I, I don't know why a statistician, I guess, would count this as a net point, but Simona Halep's able to scrap with the best of them, and when she would throw up those high elevation top spin balls rather than sit on it and wait Anisimova took one two steps into the baseline took those as out of the air ground strokes just took that much more time away from Halep and yeah for Anisimova when you're serving 73 percent 64 winning 64 percent of both your first and second serves uh, holding Simona Halep to one of seven on break point opportunities that's gonna get the job done I mean again she just she was the one in control from start to finish yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, any ball that came up the middle, she took her opportunity, changed direction, started to be aggressive. Uh, like you said, with those down-the-line shots, I mean, it, everything was there. She wins four of her seven breakpoint chances. And, you know, that's this was, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this was her first quarterfinal appearance in a Grand Slam. I think it was her first round of 16 appearance in a Grand Slam. And now this is going to be her first semifinal, of course. Um, but you know, this is, you know, an unbelievable run for her. Just fantastic tennis throughout the tournament. For Nismova, she did make the round of sixteen at this year's Australian okay. Open as well. Right. So she did so, have that experience, but yes. First quarterfinal. And and first semifinal as well. And just I mean the weapons at her disposal. It's funny because she really reminds me of Nick in that they're both <laughs> clearly still growing into their bodies. Like you can tell Anisimova's still a little inflexible, a a little you don't want to say rigid, but she's just a little stiff, and it doesn't matter because of the power she's able to create, and you know she's going to get more athletic. First of all, she's a tremendous mover on the clay for someone her height. Obviously, she covers the court well. You have to if you want to beat Simona Halep. I think her first step is really, really good, uh, but you just, as you project, as she starts to fill out and really uh, become a dominant athlete, her upside, I mean, just the weapon she's able to produce, it's it's tremendous. Yeah, and you know we can we can move on from her after after this, but like you said, the movement is really impressive for her height. She got got to a lot of balls, slices them, puts them back in play. But to you know kind of add to her power, she has nice feel. She had a lot of nice drop shots in this match too, and you got to give her some credit to that as well. Completely agree. Two stats for you real quick. American women went the entire 21st century without a first-time Grand Slam semifinalist uh, before Sloane Stevens did it in the 2013 Australian Open. Since then, Coco Vandeweghe, Amanda Nisimova, Madison Keys, Danielle Collins have all done it. Anisimova, the youngest American woman to reach a Grand Slam semifinal since Venus in 1997. Anytime you can be mentioned in the same breath as her, that's obviously an incredible thing. And, you know, she is just one of many. We saw Sophia Kennan knock out Serena earlier. Other players I mentioned, Whitney Osigwe earlier, uh, Cece Bellis, obviously, Claire Liu, uh, Coco Goff. You can go on and on and on and on. But the crop of young American women's talent, we talk about the men all of the time. We really should be more bullish on the women because not only do we have Keys and Sloane Stevens in their prime, but we just have a group waiting to make their jump on the WTA Tour. Well, I think you just 
made a perfect point for a, a future uh, great shot podcast debate. You know the the next gen men versus women. I feel like we've talked about it, but uh, I think now is as good a time as ever to to really the women blow them out. It's not a podcast topic because it's not a debate. <laughs> there, there's ways to make it it's interesting. Not. Come on, don't it's re- don't act like there isn't a way to make this interesting. How about this? It's Davis Cup, will style team tennis format with matching the two. We'll make teams and see. I'll make teams and we'll debate them. All I'm saying is <laughs> You're like, you no. look at the Fed Cup. No, you look at the Fed Cup titles from this group. I think they've won three out of the last six. You just look at all the players breaking through, even if not the top 100, the top 200. This How many have ended? I think three out of – or like four out of the last six have ended – American uh, women have ended the year as the world number one junior. This crop is elite. It's very special. But, yes, we will we will talk about them, I'm sure, throughout the rest of the 29th season. But let's move on to our other semifinal uh, – or our other quarterfinal, I should say. It does feature another American woman who, while in a great position, unfortunately just ran into a better opponent on the day. Number 8 seed Ashley Barty takes out number 14 seed Madison Key, 6-3-7-5. I mean – Ashley Barty's story is truly incredible. We could spend the rest of this podcast talking about how a former prodigy gets burnt out with the game, takes a full year off in 2015, plays freaking rugby in the intermediary time, now comes back, wins uh, a doubles grand slam, finds herself in the top 10 of the WTA, and has now made her first semifinals at a grand slam in singles. But the thing I want to talk about, she's really fucking good. <laughs> Well, that is what we're going to be talking about. I mean, it's funny you you mentioned the rugby thing. You know, looking at her movement on the court, or you, not rugby? Sorry, cricket, cricket, cricket. Oh, I'm just. I don't know why I said rugby. That's just me. I'm sports scrambled. Yeah, I'm just listening to you because I'm gonna. Anything that I say tonight could be off. I'm in New York. It's a it's a weird setting for me. I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's that's those are the circumstances every time. But go on. Yeah, I, what do you mean? I never listened to you. I think that's why I just spat back out. No, I was I'm just... saying you could always be off. Nah, it's, that's that's not really the case. But <laughs> but look, it, her movement around the court, like it, it just shows that she's an athlete. You, watching her this match, at, all over the place, getting to every single ball. Uh, I do think that there were just points where Madison Keys, you know, had opportunities and and missed them. Uh, but looking at some of the stats, I mean. Ashley Barty, sixty percent on her first serve, and then winning eighty percent of them. I mean, you're you're not gonna break someone, you know, winning eighty percent of your first serve points. And you know, had also five chances, converts three of her break points. You know, clutch on those points. I think the most impressive part to me is just how well she moved. I, I think it's hard to beat someone who moves that well. And you know, while I probably would have said that for someone like Simona Halep against Ana Simova, who moves that well. You're gonna have to do, you know, similar to what Anasimova did, and just really hit through the court, hit your angles, do everything right to beat someone who's moving like that. I think the thing Ashley Barty did well, she took time away from Madison Keys. She didn't let Keys yank her around the court all the time. You look at the first serve speed. You know, Madison Keys one of the best serves on the WTA. She's at 106 average first serve speed, 81 on the second. Ashley Barty's right there with her, 104 on her first serve, 86 on the second. She opens up serve plus ones for herself. Comfortable yanking Keys out wide with an angle. Comfortable going big inside out, inside in. I thought she took balls early. She goes in a efficient 11 of 12 at the net again the margins in this match were slim uh, madison keys had her chances right but uh, i mean she held serve she only she holds barty to five break points now barty manages to convert three of them and in the end that's the difference in this match uh, i just thought barty was a little bit better keys sometimes uh, you know barty was a little bit more patient keys sometimes forced the issue and that's why she produced a few more unforced errors but for ashley barty one to get the opportunity now to make a grand slam semifinal you're talking you know nerves are not a quantifiable thing but she has at least been and i guess amanda nisimova has been in the late st- uh, stages of a junior slam but ashley barty now finds herself with a tremendous opportunity because you look at the other players in this draw you know joe conta as you mentioned uh she, she'll have a chance to do uh, some really special stuff obviously with anisimova uh, she is not uh and anything of of an experienced uh, 
name in this draw. And then obviously Vondrasova, a successful junior. She's had a great 2019, but has never been at this point of a professional slam. She's probably, that's a long way of saying, she's probably the favorite at this point. Yeah, I I think so for sure. I mean, considering there's two non-seeded players uh, with Vondrasova and Anasimova. And a 26 seed. But what I do want to say is, you know, and feel free to to disagree with me here. I think Anasimova had some great prep playing Simona Halep, playing, you know, somewhat of a similar game to Barty, I think. Uh, I think if Anasimova can kind of bring out the same sort of style of play and and hit her spots, I, I... I think we could potentially see a you know a first final for Anasimova and potentially another upset. I don't know the way uh, the way Barty's going to be able to take time away from Anisimova, not let her dictate with her return the way she she was sometimes able to do against Halep, whose second serve not as dangerous, yeah. or, and neither is her first serve. It'll be definitely an interesting style. It's also going to be interesting to see these players playing with no rest in between days. Now they got a couple of days off before this round, and both of them threw in straight sets, but you have to wonder just the emotional come down for Anisimova, what that's going to be like. I don't know. I guess we can save save your picks for the end, but any final thoughts on this semifinal or on this quarterfinal? No, I I, I think we, we covered it. I'm just excited. I'm honestly just excited to see these next matches. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. But speaking of which, let's talk about what turned out to be a fantastic round of tennis despite the score lines being blowouts. I think the biggest takeaway from today's men's quarterfinal matches, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning, the top seeds, Novak Djokovic, Dominic team, they look really good heading into this final weekend. I mean, they look at peak form. To be, to be honest, you know, I think there were points throughout this tournament where I doubted team a little bit. I doubted him going into the Monfils match, and, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, maybe he's not quite there yet. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've said this before with, you know, many people, uh, you know, talking about team. He just gets better over the course of, of tournaments. He, he really figures it out. He finds his, you know, rhythm. And he, he really has, especially in this match against Kiechnov. I love saying that. We haven't said that in quite a while. Um, but, I mean, look, 2-4-2, two, and two, it, so that's, a, that's a blowout, and, and he looks great. I don't know which match you wanted to start with, but uh, both, both, you know, Djokovic and team looking amazing. Same with Djokovic. You know, last two matches against a— Well, hold the Djokovic. Let's start with the team. I'm totally down. Okay. Uh, Dominic, I, I just think— yeah, let's talk about the, you know, before we preview even his match with Djokovic, because I have a lot of takes on that. As I mentioned, we watched the film and the buildup to this. But the thing Dominic team does so well, you look since 2016, team is 20-0 and in the first round through the quarterfinal rounds of the French Open. So obviously that's now four straight performances like that he's put together. He hasn't been taken to a fifth set during that stretch. I mean, this guy, three out of five because of how physically fit he is, because he's able to move around a clay court so well and just with how powerful his strokes are, you as your opponent, as the opponent are always on your back foot because if you leave a single ball short, he's going after it. I mean, he's just playing dominant tennis. You look at it in his match against Kachanov, a match he wins 6-2, 6-4, 6-2. You know, 63% of his first serves go in. He wins 80% of those points, 62% of his second serve points. Kachanov doesn't have a single break point opportunity in this match. And for Karen Kachanov, who's as fit, physically fit of a player and actually probably comes out of this weekend thinking, I made the quarterfinals great result for me given where I was in 2019. <laughs> his year has been um, trash. Yeah, but it just didn't matter. He was on his back foot the entire time. It was so hard for him to find chances to play offense. And he took his shots, you know, big forehands down the live, uh, serve plus ones. He did win 61% of his first serve points, so obviously he found some success there. But it doesn't matter because the second you leave a ball in the middle with even, you know, only decent depth, Dominic Team is jumps on it and he attacks. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny too because <clears throat> you say that, Kiachinov was on his back foot the whole time. You know, there were points where he was trying to take some sort of, you know, aggressive play and, and move around team. And team's ability to go from defense to offense is just ridiculous. On the clay, getting to the balls that he can get to and, and putting the heavy spin to put it deep in the court, get back into points. I mean, if he can keep doing that, ah. The last time, I, okay, I won't get into the Djokovic team preview yet. I, I'm, I'm jumping, but 
Well, I just think that he's, you know, there's no shame for him in standing 30 feet behind the baseline on the return because if he has time to, you know, load up his massive ground strokes, he's going to get a good crack at the ball. As you mentioned, it doesn't matter how far behind the court he is. And I think the way he's able, you know, catch out comes to the net 17 times. He wins 11 of those opportunities, but still he's hesitant to come forward because if you give team even a second he will beat you to the spot you know 29 winners against 12 unforced errors versus Kachanov's 17 to 37 ratio he obviously had to force and press the issue because he fell behind so quickly it's just it's it's a tremendous task to try and you know take the onus make force team to play defense at all but my other question to you something I think I've seen team develop more and more uh and you know his racket speed has always been what's made him elite it's just the the way he's able to whip his racket on both sides it's just different from 99.9 percent of other tennis players but I really like the way he's developed his backhand slice. I think he can take it down the line now and knife a little bit. I think he's comfortable buying himself time with it when he's stretched, keeping that ball low and not letting it float. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a new thing, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I feel like that's something that I've seen from him a little bit. Over. See, I didn't used to like it. I thought he only had one mentality, and it was swing, swing, swing. And I think he he mixes it in more than he used to, buys himself some time, because if you slice back, he's running around that and hitting an inside-out forehand. Yeah, that that that's fair. I mean, I think that's something that maybe is like the last year of development. And on the clay, it's just, you know, it's, it's exactly. very easily visible. And, you know, the thing that's just all, again, and I think we've talked about this before, so impressive how he can disguise his drop shot on the backhand side. I mean, he, he nothing looks different between the slice and the drop shot, and, and he brought that out a couple of times in this match, and it's ridiculous. I, I think the only person who might disguise it better is Federer, uh, but even then, you know, it's it's really well done. Yeah, uh, he's a tremendous player. I mean, do you have any final thoughts on this match? I know we'll talk about team versus Djokovic in a second. Any last, any lingering Kachanov thoughts you want to get out? Maybe just one more name call. <laughs> one more name call. I mean, look, Kachanov. Oh, Kachanov. Um, he he should be happy. I, I've ripped on him yeah. all year, and you know it's only because I think he can do so much better, and he knows he can do so much better. Look, the the guy just made I, the quarterfinals he, of the French after playing poorly. I wish there was a little more consistency from him because I think he truly has it in him to you know make it to quarterfinals and semifinals of. Masters tournaments and the the Grand Slams, but uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, losing to team at the French Open, he should be proud of himself. Completely agree with you, and I'll end with another quick stat. Uh, at the end of this week, beginning of next week, him and Fabio Fognini will enter the top 100. I believe they become the 163rd and 64th player to ever crack that top 10 since the rankings have been a thing. You just so said that's top a pretty 100. cool stat for him to build off you of. Meant, yeah, five, no, sorry, 165 and 166th players to reach the top 10 gotcha. um, in the ATP ranking. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely something to build on. Being top 10 obviously has its benefits, and I believe he's expecting a child soon. So congratulations to him. <laughs> uh, hopefully that goes well, and, you know, that quarterfinal check will pay for more than a few diapers. So it's good for him. Um, but let's move on to our next match, our other semifinal. And again, though both of these were relatively uh quick score or you know lopsided score lines I suppose uh, they were still excellent matches and they tell us a lot moving forward number one seed Novak Djokovic it seems like another guy who as this tournament has gone on has raised his level higher and higher he knocks out number five seed Alex Zverev who again has to be feeling pretty good he gets that title in Geneva he backs up his French Open quarterfinal points from last year so in terms of pivoting for the home you know the final half of the season about as good as you he could have hoped for he knocks him out seven five six two six two and i mean our very own super producer max fleekner comes out of mcat hibernation to send me the text i mean when Djokovic moves like this you just can't beat him and he's <laughs> right yeah it's it's truly ridiculous there are some balls that zverev hit you know some down the line backhands and Djokovic is, you know, not only getting to them, but hitting, you know, forehand down the line winners back, and and it's just, it's absurd. Every drop shot that Zverev hit, I, I was like, oh, 
he was there, had time, got to look Zverev, you know, dead in the eyes and say, ah, I see that you're moving left. I'm going right right now. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's stupidly impressive. Um, it just seemed, you know, after that, you know, first set and, and the first break in the second, Zverev was just kind of at a loss. He was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm hitting the ball so damn hard. I'm, you know, hitting my spots. I'm trying to, and nothing's working. I thought in the first set, the way he took the backhand down the line as aggressively as possible. I mean, that's Alex Zverev playing his best tennis. But just throughout the match, he started forcing the issue. And look, he goes 9 of 26 on his second set. But that's what I mean. He didn't didn't know what to do. Yeah, way too much defense. He also forced his way to the net, going there 26 times, converting only 12 times. It speaks to the fact that sometimes Novak Djokovic just makes you feel helpless on the court. You're like, there's nothing I can do when he moves this well and just... It, it's not It's not trying to be disrespectful to Zverev. It's just that's how good Novak Djokovic is. Now, for Zverev, you know, he tried to work the forehand angles, tried to get Djokovic stretched, but he would just leave that forehand a little bit show, uh, short. And when Djokovic gets you on a rope and can move you side to side to side to side, keep changing directions, you're just not going to beat him three out of five. Yeah, he didn't know what to do, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 35 winners, he tried, 40 unforced errors. That's, That's right. not horrible against Novak Djokovic, but Djokovic was just, it was clinical. Yeah, I mean, look, you have to be perfect against a guy, especially on the clay. I mean, it's not like the hard court or even the grass, right, where you can push through a player, and, and Zverev on the hard has been able to do that in the past against Djokovic. When he has the time, he's going to get to everything, and like you said, had him on a rope, so uh, you, you kind of are at a loss you're like I'm gonna go for my shots and if they're not going in that's why he's you know won three grand slams in a row and is going for his fourth so not not much you I can agree do there well then we'll get to the, the semi-final previews real quick but final thoughts on Alex Zverev did you see anything I don't know to alleviate your concerns about him to make you feel good about him heading into the home stretch how are you feeling about him heading into Wimbledon not great um I mean, I think, you know, good good on him for kind of holding his ground, beating Fonini in the round before. You know, that's not an easy an easy win. First top 10 win at a major. Right. First top 20 win, I believe. Right, which is shocking, first of all. Uh, but, you know, not not an easy win. And actually, you know, his, his five-setter against Dusan Lajevic. I mean, Lajevic playing some really good tennis before this, too. So, I mean, that, that was honestly a match that I think I... I almost bet on as an upset for, uh, in you know, just so so some good wins here. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, you want to see him dominating as as a five seed, you know, top five in the world. You're hoping to see him not go five sets with Deuce on the Deuce, and uh, but you know, his match against Fonini promising. We'll see. I, I'm not super comfortable with his game right now, uh, but he can definitely prove us wrong. Home stretch, who do you feel more confident in, Zverev or Tsitsipas? Who ends the year ranked higher? Tsitsipas. And, you know, I think you wanted, you asked that question knowing what I was going to say, but uh, it's it's very clear. Tsitsipas' mental game is just so much stronger. The way he's playing, he's got confidence going. Zverev, complete opposite. Kind of kind of just trying to get some confidence with each win, and I don't know how much more he's going to be able to to pull through. I'll bet an Aventura dinner that Zverev ends up ranked higher. Huh. How do we how do we shake on this over over FaceTime? Give me a little hand. Yeah, give me your <laughs> on it. All right, now I believe yeah, we're, we're gonna do it. But okay, with those noises in mind, let's transition to our quarter or our semifinal. Now I'm just switch, screwing up all of the rounds. Our semifinal preview. One of the reasons I'm screwed up is because we did have the weather delay yesterday, and that pushed things back. And that has gotten some noise on tennis Twitter. You, can, you know, all okay semifinals being played tomorrow. I I think I just did. Um, but Typically. you know, all of, yeah, all of these uh, scheduling things have made kind of a noise. Should the Roland Garros, um, one of the only if only Grand Slam that starts the Sunday of the first week, not the Monday, for can them to talk have about to force that for these a second. To play back. We, uh, that's what I was going to say. I don't really want to talk about it. Not, rain not, delays not happen. The rain delay. They can do it, it smarter. The There's a lot of better people at this who have given better answers. That's another reason why. But, yes, I, that's why I brought it up because I wanted to hear what you had to say. Well, my my main thing, actually, rather than the, the rain delays, is just the fact that they cut off matches at, at night. 
Like I, I, I think get some f-ing light. Yeah. It's the twenty first century. Like how how are how is this the only? I think it's the only Grand Slam where that happens, right? Like we've. I mean, no. Wimbledon has a curfew. Ours, okay, right. That which is but just gentlemanly. unbelievable. That is gentlemanly. That is no. Different. That is okay. <laughs> more ridiculous. The curfew or that they still have to wear all white. What is like a more ridiculous? Rule? Neither. Neither. Well, the reason ridiculous. they have the curfew, I think, is because the subways and buses shut down, which on its own is actually kind of prideful. Go public transportation, but but also it's like I, we have a curfew. <laughs> you know what though? I think. That you I'm, know who needs I, a curfew? Amanda Nisimova. Sorry, I can't let that joke slide before <laughs> it passes. But, yeah, West <laughs> off his with that one. But um, look, I mean, I, I actually don't think I realized that it was the transportation. But if that's the case, they people if they want to stay and and risk missing the transportation, that would make it way sicker. That's that's true fan dedication to the sport. Uh, I just don't get like how we I just curfew like i just i'm sorry i don't like we, okay, we're trying lights. to finish the rounds like yeah get some d- what's lights. more ridiculous lights yeah that's pretty choose choosing yeah. to not be with today's day and age where we can very easily install lights and have french a open i'll take candles too what if like every every oh, person in the holding a sets. dude you know who would complain about that Isner gets caught on fire. There's a candle gone wrong. The first person who sets on fire. I don't know why I chose Isner. But Isner. Yeah, that'll... I'm cutting that. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. West off. Yeah. Quack all of that. I'll, I made a note of or it. Or violin it. What to quack. <laughs> yeah, that was a hot take. But we're still. Oh, oh, my God. gosh. No, that is not why. Um, <sighs> but, yeah, I just. I, I don't know why it's still an issue. I don't get it. But, all right. Let's talk about these semifinals because we got a little <laughs> bit off track here. Let's start with the men this time. Um, obviously, this, some just stats for you real quick before we go. It's the first time Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal have been in the same semifinal of a Grand Slam in seven years. It was the 2012 French Open. This tournament will be the 55th slam of the last 57 to feature one of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic in the final. That's obviously crazy. Rafa, 22-0 in French Open semifinals and finals all time. That's crazy. Most Grand Slam single semifinals of all time, men's and women's. Uh, Chrissy Everett, 52. Fed now ties Navratilova with 44. Steffi Graf, 37. That's ridiculous. And then the last fun fact for you, since 2016, every French Open men's singles event has featured at least two players with a one-handed backhand. Uh, team in Warinka twice, Team Chechenata last year, Team Fed this year. That comes from Nick Niemerhoff. All of that being said, yeah. It's awesome that we have Djokovic, Fed, Nadal, but just purely tennis. Which of these matchups are you looking forward to more? And that's the one we'll start with our breakdowns. I think Team Djokovic. I know you're probably not expecting me to say that. Um, uh, no, see, that's an us answer. Stokowiak obviously goes the other way. Yeah, but see, he would he wouldn't listen to you and would totally ignore <laughs> the tennis portion because I think, of course, it, for the every other reason. You're looking forward to the Fed Nadal matchup. I mean, it, it's just iconic. You don't know how many more of these you're going to get. So every single one, you got to treat it as your last one. I mean, look, the the team Djokovic movement, it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. The, the sliding drop shot gets that we're going to get to see, the, you know, really long points that are just going to you're going to be waiting to see who's able to pull through with the the last minute winner or who's going to make that first error or you're going to get to see a lot of that. I mean, it's really the only two guys I think on the tour. Uh, I guess you could argue Nadal too, but maybe more in his prime where I don't think either of them is really going to I don't want to say they're not they're going to be able to hit each other off the court. But All right, you ready for my hot take? This is probably the hottest thing can I'll hit Djokovic off the court. But Djokovic can't hit. I don't think Djokovic has a weapon to hurt team with. Convince me. What's the backhand down the line? Okay, you go backhand down the line. You know, that's Novak Djokovic's best shot. That's a weapon for him. I will concede that to you. But it's the angle against Dominic team. No, but if you go down the line against Dominic team and it doesn't work and you're going to give him that much court to work with, yeah, Novak Djokovic moved out of his mind today. But we saw when we watched that 2017 French Open uh, quarterfinal replay. 
team can beat Djokovic to the spot because he's swinging 100%, going full pace, full speed all the time. Djokovic isn't able to play cat and mouse with him because if you give him a little bit too short of a ball, team's going after it. And he's one of the only players on tour, maybe the righty version of Rafa in the way he can hit through these clay courts with so much spin, so much explosion on his ball. You have to be locked in on each shot of the rally because you can't leave him a sitter or he's going to take advantage of it. Now, of course, Djokovic will make team work and make it a physical match, but you know, Dominic Team is in his physical prime. This is a matchup that I just think his level on the clay this year, it's been that good. I'm not going to say he's a favorite, but I, there's a reason I picked him to win this tournament, and I'm going to, st- you know, I feel comfortable sticking with that, even if he does end up losing. I mean, look, I think it would be unfair for us to to go back on things that we've said in the past. We've both said in the past that... Eh, when, hold on. Disagree with that, okay. but go on. When Team plays his best tennis, especially on the clay, he's essentially unbeatable. I mean, the guy, the way that he can hit through the court, the, his spin on the clay and his movement, like you said, what what is Djokovic going to do to beat him? And, and I think truly, and I don't think this is a hot take either, when they're playing this match, the way that Djokovic wins is he plays better defense. I think that you're going to see team as the aggressor in this match. I mean, he, he's going to be pushing Djokovic around, and I do think that Djokovic's ability to, you know, turn defense into offense, one of, he, probably the best player on tour at doing that, is, is going to be the way that he pulls through. Like you said, he's going to make team work for everything, and team is going to work for everything. But I think it's just going to be one of those matches where, as you said, it, it's it, you know not necessarily a hot take, but team is going to be the one who's who's trying to control the points. Well, if if team doesn't serve well, his problem he'll run into Djokovic will be on top of the baseline. Yes, jo- Djokovic he will, will take, take time away from team. Yes. Exactly. He will take time away from Dominic team. But the thing that Djokovic does well, redirecting balls, you know, taking forehands down the line, backhands down the line, trying to draw you into taking the space and making it a physical, you know, open court match. Dominic Team will just go right back down the line full speed. And yeah, Novak Djokovic is one of those few players who can stop, change direction, and get to that ball. But you hit a slice off of that ball and you give Team another ball to be aggressive with, especially the way I think he continues to improve moving forward. He really seems to be confident knocking off volleys or going short angle if you hit a down the line pass at this point. He can play offense. He's going to have to execute. Of course, the onus is on him to play good tennis because the baseline level of Novak Djokovic is just so high. But I've never felt more confident in one, you know, one of these challengers to, and I'm going to say the big four, the Murrays, Djokovic, Nadal, <clears throat> Federer's, than I do about Dominic Team in this moment. So look, the last three times these guys have played, Team has won two of the three. He won furthest back 2017. Here at Roland Garros, seven six six three six zero, and you know you, you sent me a link and said, "Hey, watch the second point of this match," and it was like a forty five ball rally. Just, I mean, just beautiful tennis. Um, and, and I did get to go through, you know, the majority of that match as well. And it, Team did exactly what we were talking about. He was the aggressor. He moved Djokovic around, and I think, you know, that Djokovic did just get a win in the most recent match against him at Madrid, seven six seven six. What he did was he changed things up. I think team can get on a roll. He can start hitting his spots. And if you don't do stuff to, to kind of change it up, he will beat – you will have a tight first set like in 2017-7-6. He'll keep figuring it out, go 6-3 in the second, and he'll f*** you up in the third 6-0. If Djokovic doesn't find a way to change things up when team starts to get hot, it, it could be really dangerous for him. Yeah, I think we've hit on it uh, pretty well. The, both of these guys, look, you don't want to let Novak Djokovic get in a rhythm. You really don't want to let Dominic Team get in a rhythm. So in that spirit, uh, give me the pick. Who you got? Yeah, I was, I was about to say. So I'm going to take Team in five. Ooh, really? Yeah, it's hot. I didn't want to. And I honestly, before, before we started this, I was going to take Joker in four. Um, but... As we're talking, so about let's it. get the counterpoint real quick. Novak Djokovic, really f-ing good, like really, really, really f-ing good. I mean, that that's <laughs> always the counter. Djokovic is no right, really but it's like f-ing good. Like no, it's like 
What you're going to bet against the guy who just who's won back to back to back grand slams? Like that's what I'm saying. It's like no, you're not. Like I agree. He's literally going for his uh, for a, a no lay slam, right? Where he wins four in a row. And to bet against that guy, best of five is really stupid. It is. But Dominic team has been playing outstanding tennis uh, since Indian Wells. Really, just since that moment, week in week out. Yeah, he's had a couple of losses this clay season, but the level he's displayed <coughs> throughout this tournament has gotten better and better. Uh, the, the thing. I want to take the opportunity to, to, to be the other side. You took team so I could take <laughs> Djokovic. But I've been with team all tournament. But sorry, what were you going to say? The winner of the first set wins this match. <laughs> sorry. The winner of the first set is not going to win this match. The, win- the winner of the second set wins right, this you're match. You're right on b- the winner of the second set wins. I want to say match. third, but if it went straights, then that that kind of defeats the whole point. But look, if you win sets in this match, I agree with you. <laughs> you're gonna win it. Um, I mean, here's the thing. I think for Dominic Team, it's more important to win the first set because if he can play with the lead, be aggressive, that's so much easier he than to stay hot. behind. You you never want to play behind against Novak Djokovic because. If he gets to start being aggressive, he gets to take chances with that backhand. You are in a lot of trouble. I'm sticking with Dominic Team. No, ah, <laughs> Dominic Team four sets. No, five sets. Come no, four on. sets. That's just, four that's sets. disrespectful four sets. to do it in four. Why? I think he's playing that well. That's what I'm going to ah, I'm just going to stick with it. Let's move on to our other semifinal. Uh, I mean, sorry, any counterpoint? Four. Come on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's I'm going to stick Fed with Nadal. it. Let's let's do it. Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, meeting number 39. As I mentioned, their first meeting at the French Open since the 2011 final. Uh, you look throughout their time on clay. Obviously, that's where Nadal has had Federer's number. It's the surface he's best equipped to beat Roger Federer on. We both watched that 2011 final, and here's my biggest takeaway from that. Anyone who says these guys have gotten better, like like at this point in their career than they were in their primes is just wrong. <laughs> I mean, watching these highlights, those uh, here's why I'm so fascinated. You're, you're saying you just to say see that, the physicality. You just say that because no, no, of physicality and and their no. So to movement. see the physicality of that, they cannot replicate that at this point. And I think both of them hit more aggressively than they used to. They go after their spots more than they used to. And the fact that they're not going to be able to react on the surface the way that they used to. The fact that Nadal's not going to be able to pull pull forehand down the line passes out of his capris at this point of his career that that's not an option you know it's just he's not going to be able to move around against fed the way he used to the fact that Federer, i don't think is going to be able to run around his backhand at all times the way that he used to or when nadal catches him you know peeking on that trying to hit inside out forehands covering that cross court backhand from nadal i don't think he's going to be able to do that as well as he used to but, I mean, these guys are going to go after the ball on clay in a different way than maybe they did in that 2011 final. They're going to, you know, both try and move forward. Yeah, so so first of all, I think it it needs to be a thing from here on out that Nadal wears the capris anytime he plays Fed <laughs> because that that's just, yeah. I would love He doesn't to have the hair for it anymore. He, he just he barely has good. any hair anymore. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You can't do that. Um but that that's the exact reason why I think Federer wins this match. They're both going to be— not, Stop stealing my takes. I just want to stop it. It's not, it's not a— No, I look, I almost look. took that. I took that so that I could get the Dominic team thing right. I'm happy taking the Nadal side of this argument. But go on. Sorry. That, that is the exact reason that Fed wins this match. Like you said, they're not what they used to be. They can't move as well. And I, and I think— it's ridiculous to say that Nadal doesn't move as well in the clay anymore. I mean, the dude is insane. He still moves so well in the clay. But there, it's going to be a match where you're, we're going to see them be more aggressive. When you when you watch that first set when they played back in 2011, Federer was very aggressive. He took balls early. On top of the baseline. On top of the baseline. Moved into the net a bunch. And, and I think that those are the things that he's going to do again in, in this match. And given where they're at in their career— I think that both of them playing aggressive tennis, Fed's going to be more successful. He's going to be able to pull out this match. He's won five of their last meetings, 
Four of them were in 2017. We unfortunately did not get to see them play at Indian Wells this year um, with Nadal withdrawing after the the weird knee uh, thing going on. Federer, I, I think he's got the edge here, which is hilarious. Okay, he doesn't have the edge. That's that's ridiculous to say. It's the French Open. It's Rafa. No, but, it's... but I think given the circumstances, I think Federer, if he can be aggressive and, and kind of stick to his game plan, I think he's got it. Look, Five these sets. two know each other as well as any two players on tour. They know exactly what each other is going to try and do, even on this surface. But you're looking at that takeaways from 2011. Federer jumped on Nadal right from the get-go. He breaks him opening game. He serves for this—you know, he has a set point when with Nadal serving at 2-5. Nadal holds—Federer doesn't end up getting to set point, gets broken, and ends up losing a bunch of games in a row uh, to lose a 7-5 first set. Then Nadal goes up an early break in the— second holds on to that lead before Federer goes on a huge run and then they trade break 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 uh, or break 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 hold hold uh, Nadal ends up taking it in a tie break but you mentioned this for the last one I think in this one it's even more important you know the first set of this match mm-hmm. is going to be critical because if Federer gets up a set he's able to be aggressive take more chances really force Nadal to be on the defensive that benefits him so much and that's going to be so important look we don't need to talk about the patterns you know what you're going to see in this match Nadal is going to pepper the backhand he's going to go forehand cross forehand cross when he catches Federer peaking he'll go forehand line to keep him honest when Federer gets a forehand into the Nadal backhand Nadal feels no hesitation just going right back up the line with that testing Federer say hey you want to go down the line backhands with me go for it or you know when Federer tries to step up early take that ball across court Nadal's like okay you want to give me on the run forehands that's when I get to be my best so we know every pattern that's going to go into this match simply put who makes more first serves who's able to earn themselves more chances to move forward it's going to be the small things now Nadal has looked electric on the clay and neither of these guys have dropped a set so far so or I guess Nadal did to go fend but neither of them have really been tested I mean Nadal slept oh and I guess Federer did to Warrenka so they both dropped a set thus far but neither of them you know seriously have any worries physically you know they should both be fresh coming into this one relatively if I I a hundred percent recognize, understand, and sympathize with the points you made about why Federer could win this one, simply put, because it's on the red clay, because Nadal's strengths, which exacerbate Fed's weaknesses, are emphasized that much more on this surface. I'm gonna stick with Nadal in four, and the reason I say four and not five is I just think physically, if if Fed goes down two sets to one, it becomes that much harder. I mean. Sure. If he goes down two sets to one, it will be a four set match. I think it's it's too hard to you know come back from that. I think Nadal especially just the relentless physicality handling his ball definitely. And and the only the the last thing I want to say, there was a a press conference and and I couldn't hear the question from the reporter asking Federer, but it, it had to do with you know essentially what do you do to to beat Nadal? What you know how do you how do you feel like you can beat him at the French Open, and uh, Fed goes kind of on this long-winded answer saying, you know, how Nadal is one of the best, and, you know, you kind of have to just do what you can, Um, and, you know, he kind of ends the answer with him saying, uh, you know, anything is possible, you you could beat him, Uh, and that's just not the confidence you want to hear from Fed. I was hoping to, to get a little something like, look, like, I've beaten him before, I've beaten him on the clay, I've done it. It's not impossible. Other people have beaten him on the clay. Like, yes, he is the king. And, of course, you know, you have to do everything right. But I I just needed a little more confidence from Federer there. So uh, I'm still going to take him. I want him to win because I don't want to see another Nadal in in the finals. Um, But if you're not turning your your TV on for this match, then go home. Don't never watch tennis again. Uh, I mean, (laughs) I... You're the body language doctor, so sure. We, I can agree with you there. Uh, let's move on to our women's semifinals because we've got two great matches there as well. Uh, let's start <clears throat> with uh, the top, Anisimova versus our girl, uh, Ashley Barty. I don't know if she's really our girl, but that was just <laughs> I was what like, I was what? feeling like saying. Who you got? What are the keys to the match? Well, I think I, I kind of talked about this <clears throat> when talking about Anisimova. I think she has to play similarly to the way, to way she played Halep. To be aggressive, 
move Barty around, keep hitting those big down the line shots, and I think she'll be successful. I, I already said I think this is a match that Anasimova is, is going to win, uh, as much of an upset as that'll be. Barty, I think, has to do something a little bit similar in the fact that she needs to change directions. She needs to get Anasimova moving, hit shorter angles, um, you know, hit some drop shots, come to the net. So I think those are the the kind of things that you're going to see from Barty regardless. But uh, I'm going to take Anasimova in, I don't want to say straights. It's ridiculous. Three sets. All right. I will be rooting for probably Anisimova as a fan of American tennis. I'll take Barty. I just think her weapons, Anisimova is not going to be able to dictate with her return the way she did against Halep today. It's going to be a lot harder for her to win free points. Uh, I think Barty's uh, just a very good returner, very solid. We'll definitely put the onus on Anisimova when she hits in second serves. Not that Halep didn't do that today. I just think Barty plays a little bit more aggressively. I'll take Barty in straights. I just think she's playing too well right now. Her form has been incredible. I, I, it's just tough because I haven't seen enough of Anisimova yet at this stage uh, to really have Maybe a feel her for her. One. I feel like Barty's little bit of experience will make the difference in this one, so I'll take her. But all right, Vondrasova Kanta. This is a rematch from Can the I, Rome quarterfinal. Really quickly before you move on, I wish we had done this on the men's too, but the betting lines for this, just because I think it's fascinating. What who? Uh, they obviously have Barty as the favorite. Oh, don't give me those eyes. Ana Samova, plus 150. I, That's I think. pretty close. They're giving her good odds. They are. I mean, they, they believe in her. And they, they've got the Maybe over Maybe it's under. not that they believe in her. Maybe they don't believe in Barty. What are we missing? I feel like that's more an indictment on Barty than anything else. They just don't think either of them have shown a form, and you would think given the resumes, although Anisimov obviously incredibly talented, quite the pedigree, but just given their pro experience, Barty would be, I don't know, is she minus 250? 190. Wow. Look, they've got the over-under at 21 games. They're expecting straight set win. So then, uh, while you're while you're looking at the men's, at some point while we're doing these little previews uh, for Kanta and Vondrasova, will you try and do an all favorites parlay? I want to see what that pays out tomorrow, uh, sure. just for a little info. But yes, presenting this Kanta Vondrasova matchup uh, for them the, again. This is a rematch from the Rome premiere where Kanta knocked out Vondrasova three uh, six three three six six one for Joe Kanta. This is her, I believe, third Grand Slam semifinal appearance after she made the semifinals at the 2016 Australian Open and the 2017 Wimbledon. Uh, for Vondrasova, obviously, this is her first Grand Slam semifinal at the professional level, but she's made multiple Grand Slam finals at the junior level. I mean, her form, talk about players who have been good coming into the French Open. As I mentioned, she makes uh, the final in Budapest. She makes quarterfinals Indian Wells, quarterfinals Miami, wins her two Fed Cup matches, final in Istanbul, quarterfinal Rome. Home. Obviously, now the semifinals here at the French Open. She has been stellar. Who you got in this one, Maxi? I think this is going to be close, and uh, you know, you're, you're also going to find, I think, this Bovada line interesting. They, they have Conta at minus 145. Uh, that so makes sense. You think that makes sense? I'm not so sure. Yeah, she won, she won in Rome a couple weeks ago. That's the data they have. Yeah, and, and they're they're gonna go you know pretty close to that. And because what's Vondrasova plus one fifty, plus one twenty, and again yeah. over under at twenty two games, they're expecting a tight two sets. Um, stay away. This is a stay away. It is. Ah, oh, God, I I think I gotta go Vondrasova. I th- I think it's tough not to. <laughs> Don't take my picks. <laughs> Look, I, I want I want two non-seeded players in the final. So do I. Two young players, too. Literally, this how is everything I ever call for on the men's side. And you're like, oh, yeah, it'd be totally sick. Like, how sick would it? I mean, you'd be all for Like, th- this is the equivalent of what? FAA versus? FAA Tsitsipas. If Tsitsipas wasn't no, already ranked Tsitsipas so high. No, too established. Tsitsipas isn't Vondrasova. This is FAA like Shadow. FAA. <laughs> no, FAA Fritz. Like, former junior Grand Slam champion in the 30s has had some success. I mean, something of that. Or maybe yeah, Tiafa. Tiafa. Something like that. Thinking. But it's like, uh, I'll take Vondrasova, too. I'm, I would love a Vondrasova and Isimova final, but I think it's going to be Vondrasova-Barty in the end. 
Um, all right, any final? Oh, did you find that parlay? Three to one odds on taking all the favorites. Hmm. Put a pin in that. Now, now really quickly, I, I wish I had done this while we were talking about it. Take a, take a gander at what the line is for Nadal fed. I have to mention Nadal's minus 200, minus 250. <laughs> minus 800. <laughs> the, if you, you have What's fed? Plus 500. Hmm. Do we put a pin in that? I mean, like, it, I mean, look, how do you bet against 11 French Opens and it, only two losses at Roland Garros ever? You go watch the 2011 final, and then you can literally, watching that final, I can convince how, myself that Roger Federer is capable of it. How many times do you think Federer has watched David, excuse me, David Danko, not... <laughs> Soderling beat beat Nadal. How many times do you think he's watched that match to to study it? Zero. But do I think he's watched the match point highlights on YouTube at least five times? <laughs> Just so basking in the glory of seeing because Soderling kind of like puts his arms up. He's like yeah, and like I'm sure Roger's like, what would that be like? <laughs> That's like the one thing I've never done is beat Nadal at the French. So it's uh. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I, that's interesting lines. But yeah, those are the picks. Uh, any final French Open thoughts? And then quickly, Little Rock. I'm I'm just excited. Tomorrow morning, yeah. you you talked about taking a sick day. We might have to violin that out because we don't want your bosses hearing it. But uh, they don't listen to the pod. But no, I'm not going to end up doing it. I know, anyway, so. I know. Luckily, I am yeah. here in New York on PTO, so I will get the chance yeah, to watch the whole thing. Have to get up early for that. Um, well, I guess actually later than usual, but still. That being said, I wanted to do one more thing, and we are a little bit later, so we maybe we won't go as much depth. But there's been a ton of great challenger tennis. There's been a US, you know challenger in Little Rock, a ton of Americans in play. Obviously, they got rained out today, so the round of 16 in singles will all be tomorrow. So obviously, since there are only a few Roland Garros matches, if you're awake during the day, you need something to watch while at work. Watch these Little Rock challenger matches. You look at some of these matches. There's a ton of former college players from the UVA front. Ty Kwiatkowski, Alexander Richard, Ryan Shane all make the round. You look at some of the other names. Oh, Colin Altamirano as well. You have Ray Sarmiento from USC. You have Chris Eubanks from Georgia Tech. Noah Rubin. Daniel obviously, Wynn. Wake Forest, Daniel Wynn, another USC guy. So, ton of cool results there. One of the biggest things I just want to talk about real quick, number one seed, Michael Moe, coming back from injury in this event. He loses his first-round match to Ryan Shane, 3-6-7-5-6-3. Now, Shane is never going to let his opponent get in a rhythm because you're going to see big forehands, big serves, big shanks, and really, the you're never just big your goal is to honestly. make as— Yeah, your goal is to just make as many balls as possible. But I guess— my question to you is, any concern on the Michael Moe front? I mean, I, I think there's concern given it's been I, – I know he's struggled with injury, but where he's just it's, – it's been a while since I feel like I've seen a, a good quality win from him. There there was a time – I mean, look, the guy's also ranked 141. It's kind of ridiculous to, to you know, be concerned with him. He's 21 years old, and, and he's been on the tour for, you know, a couple of years now. But I think in, there was a point where we were seeing some kind of – fun wins if you want to call him that where he was getting wins against some top guys and you you thought ooh maybe this is where he's going to break through I I just think everyone's kind of expected him to break through before now Um, but look fresh fresh back from injury I think we've seen uh, a lot of guys come out hot and and this is not the start he necessarily wanted but uh, look let's give him a little bit of time and, and maybe we'll see him come back with some good wins completely agree with you. Ryan Shane is not the player you want to play in your first match back. One of the other things I saw, though, from this weekend, just a general arching theme, and I played in Sarasota this weekend, so I am got used to this weather. It is hot and muggy in Little Rock. We're talking 95 degrees, humid as hell. Uh, a lot of these players, you look through some of the guys, Alex Sarkeesian, who beat uh, Brandon Holt in his first-round match in a physical three-set match, both guys cramping at the end of the match. It was ridiculous <laughs> to watch. 
he just kind of flamed out physically against Colin Altamirano. Same thing for Noah Rubin. He played Orlando Luz, who had won in three sets, seven, six in the third the day before. He was just physically drained the next day. I mean, Ryan Shane, not a guy who plays long points, so it was kind of interesting to see just him bounce back. But Jordi Arcanada, another guy, three sets, just physically dead the next day. Stefan Kozlov, uh, two sets, but also just physically wore down at the end. I, I don't oh, Oliver Crawford, another guy. I don't really have an overarching point. I just guess that's something that's been on my mind while I'm watching its tennis. Is June tennis in the South cannot be easy. No, it look like you said you've you've experienced it. <clears throat> I've I've also been over, you know, in North Carolina and Florida during those hot mucky summers, and <clears throat> it's tough I, watching. I watched a little bit of of Ray play Cressy, and you know he had to have been happy to play a serve and volleyer, you know, not, not have the crazy long points. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Two seconds, on, two seconds on Ray as well. He looks good. I mean, his strokes have always translated, but the guys, it's so smooth. Yeah. It's, it, I love watching him play. It's, it's even more fun to, to be on the opposite side of the court from him, which I've had the pleasure of doing <laughs> once or twice. Yes. I, I, I had to do that just to get the smile on your face. Uh, but look, it, it's awesome to, to see him come back. You know, he, he looks pretty healthy, uh, and with this win, he's gonna. I think he's gonna move into like the 550 range uh, in the rankings. You know, he's he's technically on the inactive list on on the rankings. So we're gonna get to see a little bit more of him, which is awesome. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. Again, so many college guys still in play, so it's it speaks to the fact that there was so much talent in college tennis and it's starting to find its way onto the pro tour. Want to take the transition to Surbiton real quick, our first mm-hmm. grass tennis really of the season. We had another young American, Tommy Paul, in play there who won his first round match but then loses in three sets to Bernard Burn. Tomic. What this really showed me was Tommy Paul's game, again, Every, he, he can do a little bit of everything, and that really does translate across all three surfaces. I agree. I, I mean, you asked me to watch this match because we were going to talk about it, and I've been trying to stick just to my clay court tennis. Um, but <laughs> but look, TP, you know, I, interestingly enough, after a pretty you know fun match against Dominic Team at, at the French, it didn't seem like he was able to kind of have any weapons against Tomic in this match. I mean, he was slicing, slicing a lot with him, which you don't want to do. He wasn't getting aggressive. He wasn't, you know, trying to, to be the, uh, the one controlling the points and we don't have to dive into the match. It's just not the loss you want to have, you know, especially to a guy who, well, looks no, like we are care. going to know because I, I disagree. I think the, it was the exact opposite. I think, I think Tommy knew if he waited long enough, if he showed enough That's, patience, no, but, no, he 100% was going to get the easiest ball to move in behind. And again, the margins in this match, very thin. There were, what, three, four breaks of serve total in all. And yeah, there are three total breaks of serve, one in each set for uh, the guy who won that set. I think Tommy knew if I am patient, if I play my cards right, I will get a floater from Bernard Tomic that I will it, easily like, I, be able to move I in think on. And a that's, fine line. I thought it was good patience. Uh, see, I disagree. I think there's a fine line. I think. Yeah, cause of course you disagree because you're reckless. No. No, see, I knew that was coming to you. I was waiting for you to say that Ryan Shane was a good comparison to me, which is just absurd. No, that would be way too flattering to you. Yeah, haha. Because uh, you could <laughs> never get to that level. But look, TP, yeah, because I haven't compared you to Jack Sock before. Yeah, well, that's only when you're feeling nice. But I, I, I look. <laughs> there's a reason he lost the match, right? Like you, you have to be. A little bit aggressive with Tomic, otherwise he's just going to keep slicing balls back. There's there's only a certain amount of patience you can have when the guy is just going to sit there and slice balls all day. Um, even on the forehand side, I mean, you have to be able to say, "Here's my chance. I'm going to be aggressive. I want to move him around a little bit." And he didn't do. I don't think he did enough of that. Well, we can agree to disagree. Obviously, Tomic won the match, so I suppose your points make a ton of sense. But again, total points in this match, 100 for Tomic, it 94 was for Tommy Paul. Yeah, the margin's so slim. The other American I want to talk about real quick, uh, Dennis Kudla, who really is a grass court specialist. He oh. says what's his favorite part of the clay season, and the answer is that grass season is that much closer. He makes the quarterfinals here, knocks off Jason Kubler in straights, James Ward in three sets. He now has a matchup with Matthias Bockinger. I mean, just the flatness of his strokes, the way he's able to keep the ball low, deep, change direction, and follow it in. He really does have a beautiful game on the grass. 
He does. I mean, his. I know you love his backhand. I know that's like just the. So real quick, I'm gonna name three guys: Kudla, Tommy Paul, Taylor. Fr- Assuming John Isner doesn't play, Kudla, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz. Oh, not Tommy Paul. Sorry, Kudla, Opelka, Fritz, Tiafo. Who goes the fur? I mean, it's all draw given, but who do you think goes the furthest in the Wimbledon? In the Wimbledon, Fritz. Ooh, I don't hate that. What about Opelka? I feel like Opelka could literally just. What if he doesn't miss a first serve for like two weeks? <laughs> he still loses second round. <laughs> he still loses six, six, and six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't know. They're all. I could see for as bad as the American men were. Yeah, but as for as bad as the American men were at the French Open, I think they could be that good at Wimbledon. That's what I'm saying. There's a couple of guys primed for a deep run. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I like Fritz's uh, style of play for the grass. I, I think he could be successful. Tiafo, I'm, I'm a little nervous about on the grass. We'll we'll see if he can kind of change things up and and you know be aggressive, but. I'm not feeling good about him for for Wimbledon. That's fair. And look, I think we are going to end up recording this weekend because it's French Open crunch time. So you want to save me playing tennis conversation for then when there are less matches to talk about. I feel like we covered a bunch of things. Yes, we will be chatting on Sunday. Yeah, you know what they call that? They call that a tease. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about my personal tennis Because people are just itching (laughs) to hear about that. Uh, I almost dropped a spoiler there, but apparently people are itching to listen to it, but we can save that for another time. Uh, obviously, for our listeners, if you've missed any of the action, although I don't know how you wouldn't have caught up with it after listening to this hour-long podcast, but <laughs> check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for more instant updates, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Tennis Twitter really is a vibrant thing, and you'll never miss anything in the tennis community if you're following the Cracked Rackets account or the Great Shot podcast, the Mini Break account, I'll even throw max rothman a little plug there as well mm-hmm. uh, so go give those a follow like rate subscribe review this podcast as well as our other pods cracked interviews great shot podcast what the deuce be on the lookout for some fun cracked interviews coming up this weekend um shout out as always to our super producers max fliegner daniel westoff who really do have a f- editing job to do and have been killing it all tournament long Maxie, i want to give you the final word any final thoughts fetter and Nadal. Match 39 is going to be a five-set epic match. I cannot wait. (laughs) Well, then, I look forward to watching it from my wonderful co-host, Maxwell LeBauer-Roth, and from our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin-Maxi. What do we say at the end of these podcasts? That is a break. And enjoy Semi-Final Friday. Thanks, everyone.